Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Whoever doesn't hate father and mother, spouse, children, siblings, cannot be my disciple. Take up your cross, count the cost, give up all your possessions. Oh, and uh, happy Labor Day weekend. (laughs) My friend, uh, the late Archbishop Terry Finley, used to always say that there's a special place in heaven reserved for those who find their way down to church on a long weekend. Probably half points if it's a rainy day, be my guess. But if you're anything like me, you you made your way down here the last glimmer of summer before we enter a new program year, a new school year. Listen attentively to the word, maybe hoping for something encouraging something uplifting, and here's Jesus. Whoever doesn't hate father, mother, spouse, cannot be my disciple. Oh, and just give up all your possessions. It's tempting to think maybe you should have just slept in. Is that just me? Um, When we encounter these challenging teachings, these difficult passages of scripture, it can be really tempting to kind of preach around them, to turn the page, right? To, where was it where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, right? It's tempting to just find a way around. Um, I'm convinced that there's actually a reason that Jesus wants to unsettle us. that Jesus wants to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so I tend to think that when we come across these really challenging bits of scripture, one of the best things we can do is lean in. Try to take what Jesus is saying seriously. Try to wrestle with it a bit and not let go until we find the blessing. So if you bear with me, I'd like to do that this morning. The good news is I really do think there is more here than meets the eye. The bad news is I think it's meant to get under our skin and bother us a bit. So this passage that we have this morning doesn't just come from nowhere. This isn't just Jesus saying, by the way, there's there's a whole context that builds to this moment. So let's just go back for just a moment to the beginning of this chapter in Luke's gospel, right in the middle of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus has been invited to a fancy dinner party on the Sabbath, like Dean Tim told us about last week. Uh, Picture a dinner hosted by the bishop with all the senior clergy of the diocese, visiting bishops, maybe a retired Archbishop of Canterbury is in attendance, right? It's all all of the likely people are at this fancy party hosted by the religious elite. And on the way in the door, Jesus stops 
and heals someone on the Sabbath, <laughs> which is meant to cause some trouble because that's not really something you're meant to do. So on his way in the door, he's sending a message that this isn't going to be a normal, polite dinner party. So it doesn't take him long to say to his host, uh, you know, when you're ho holding parties like this, you shouldn't invite this lot. You can imagine about how well that went down. And so there's this awkward lull in the discussion. People aren't quite sure what to make of this Jesus. How are we going to get through this evening? And some person says, uh, yes, um, blessed is the one who breaks bread in the kingdom of heaven, which I figure is basically just a way of moving the conversation along. Basically saying, yeah, um, <laughs> do you still summer in the Hamptons? So um, Jesus picks up on this and says, ah, yeah, let's talk about who's going to eat in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus tells a parable about a host, a gracious host that wants to throw a dinner, invites all the usual suspects, the people who are meant to be there and to be seen being there. And then when it's time for the banquet, people go out to say, okay, it's time, come. I guess the network was down and the text messages weren't getting out. So come on out, it's time to go. And everyone without fail has an excuse. I've got a family thing, my in-laws are in town, I've got a work thing that's popped up, it's kind of important. There's this business opportunity over there. And so one by one, all of the important people who were invited, they beg off, they say, nope, sorry. It's the ancient equivalent of the last minute cancellation text. So the host says, fine, um, let's just go out into the street and invite all of the outcasts, all the misfits, all the people who have nothing better to do at dinner time, who didn't get an invitation to be anywhere else, all those people, let's, let's bring them down. And so they do, and there's still room, and so they say, all right, let's get out into the street and let's just, let's just direct traffic right here into this party. Everyone passing by, foreigners, strangers, all the riffraff, the people who shouldn't be invited if you follow social graces, all of them are going to get ushered in and we're going to break out the good wine. And this is going to be one heck of a party. And so Jesus says, this is who eats at the kingdom of God. Not the people you think are going to be there. If you think you know who's in and who's out, you just don't get it. And then, having told this parable, Jesus turns to the crowd, and then he says, if you don't hate father and mother, spouse, children, siblings, you can't be my disciple. If you don't take up your cross, if you don't count the cost, if you don't give up your possessions, this isn't going to work. And in this moment, Jesus is engaged in a rhetorical practice called hyperbole. This was common among the rabbis. It's a way of taking your point and amplifying it, making it outrageous, making it jarring, trying to cut through the resistance that might be there to hearing what you're trying to say. And so I think when you look at this episode as a whole, you see Jesus who wants to rearrange the social order who wants to say there's no one who's excluded who wasn't in in the first place. 
It's like Jesus wants to say, you know those things that we build our lives around, those pillars that we think are immovable, that worldview that you've been given that says you're supposed to want 2.4 children or something, you're supposed to want a little house in the suburbs with a white picket fence, or the dream career, or the social standing, whatever it is that you've inherited as the plan. If you hold to those things, if, if you think those things will save you or fill the hole that you feel inside sometimes, Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's not how this is going to work. And so those moments when we think that being a Christian might help us achieve the things we write down on our five-year plan, right? Or if we think, as many have, that Following Jesus is going to mean we raise up an army and kick out the Romans and restore the glory of the kingdom of Israel. Jesus says, not this party. Or if we think we're going to find ourselves seated at some glorious heavenly banquet next to just the right people, Jesus says, not this dinner. And this is really hard because we bump straight into a kind of cognitive dissonance, right? Where, where we can know a thing for all the world. We can even like it. We can even find it to be compelling. And we can still live as though that's just not true at all, right? It's, it's like how, as a priest in the Anglican Church, I'm compelled by the Jesus who says, give yourself away. And I think he means it. I find Jesus to be compelling when he says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. But the church has a pension plan. Or it's like maybe during the season of creation, you think, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get less coffee in takeout cups. I'll drive around less. I'm going to make more at home. You know, with my fancy beans that get flown in from exotic places in small batches. Right? Or I'm going to go shopping for a new... I need a new car. I'm going to make sure I get the truck with the eco-friendly engine, as if that's not a contradiction of terms. So we, we run into this place where we might even want to take what Jesus is saying seriously. We might even want to fit it into our lives. Not that we should hate our families or take the clothes off of our kids' back and throw them away, but that we should seriously grapple with the structure that we've inherited. We should be open to overturning the social order, that we should seek to be generous in ways that make us uncomfortable and spend time with people that we maybe wouldn't otherwise. We should do all of that, but, but if you're anything like me, that might put you very quickly in a place where you just feel like every way you go, you fall into some kind of trouble. It's never quite right. It's so hard, and it can be overwhelming, and it can make you feel like, why, why try? Where to start? One of my very favorite episodes in Scripture is tucked away in a dusty little corner of the Old Testament um, in a book called Second Kings. There's a wealthy, powerful general named Naaman uh, who has a skin condition, really bad skin condition, and for all of his wealth and all of his power, he can't get it cured. 
So a slave that he stole from one of his conquests says to him, there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha. And if you go see Elisha, I bet you anything you'll get that healed because the God of Israel is really something. So Naaman sets off with his entourage and goes to visit Elisha. But Elisha doesn't even come out. <laughs> Elisha sends someone to go talk to Naaman. Naaman is not terribly impressed. And he's even less impressed when he's told, just go bathe in the river three times. And Naaman's not going to do it. But this slave says, you know, if he told you to do something hard, you would have done it, right? That's why we came. So how much more should you do this simple thing? So reluctantly, Naaman goes down to the river and he bathes three times. And he is healed. But more than being healed, he has this extraordinary encounter with the living God. He is transformed. He catches a glimpse of truth, and it changes his life. And so he rushes back to Elisha, and he says, please, let me pay you. And Elisha says, no, no, that's, that, this isn't a transaction like that. And then he says, okay, fine, but two more things. First, um, would it be okay if I took a couple mule loads of dirt with me? You know, like you do. And then he says, um, when I get home, I know now there is only one God, the God of Israel. But when I get home, if I don't bow down to the gods of my king, I'm, I have a pretty short life expectancy. And so Elisha says, take the dirt and go in peace. Now, what's the thing with the donkeys and the dirt? <laughs> what's that about? The thing is that in this time, the understanding of how the cosmos works is gods are bounded by territory, right? If you visit a foreign land, the god that dwells there is the foreign god. If you want to worship your god, you have to go back home. So Naaman glimpses this extraordinary thing, this, this vision of truth. His life has changed, but he doesn't know what to do other than slot it into the worldview that he has inherited. So he says, let me take this dirt all the way back with me. I'll spread it out in my garden, and I'll have a nice little patch of Israel where I can worship the one true God, except for those times when I have to do the thing that's expected of me. And in the face of this absurdity, Elisha says, go in peace. It doesn't mean that that's the last word. It doesn't mean that Naaman shouldn't advance in his understanding as he learns more about what God is like, how to navigate the world. But nevertheless, in, in spite of his human frailty, in spite of the limitation of his field of vision, God, through the prophet, says, go in peace. And so, my friends, I think we should allow ourselves to be unsettled by this challenging teaching of Jesus. I think especially as we stand on the edge of a new season, a new program year, new initiatives in our church community, that we should take this opportunity to question the things that we think are immovable, what are the boundaries we don't think we should have to cross? What are the social conventions that we've just accepted, just part of the furniture of the room? 
In what ways might we be called to give our stuff, our possessions, ourselves away? In what ways could generosity make us uncomfortable? In what ways might we look to see a reordered world that doesn't follow the expected pattern, but follows a radical, exciting, life-giving pattern modeled after the Jesus that loves us through all of it? And as we do that, and as we grapple with the discomfort that that process produces, may we hear whispered in our hearts and our minds, echoing through the ages, the words of God spoken through the prophet. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.